welcome to another edition of Cloud Unfiltered. I am your host, Michael Chenitz. This is a special edition at KubeCon. And right now, I have Julie Gunderson and Jason, Jason Yee. Yee. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was Jason. I was just trying to think of the last name. And I've had this conversation for every guest so far. I am awful with names. So if you could tell me a name like five times. For some reason, Julie, I remember. I just can't. You can't remember. You can't forget. You can't her. forget Julie. <laughs> but but you know, otherwise, I, it's just it's awful, and it's 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 my bad, and I apologize. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> that's great. Jason and I, we have a live stream, and when we do our cold opens, Jason never knows when we actually start recording. Nice. Uh, so he has to apologize a lot. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, First of all, we're going to talk a little bit about you guys work for. Look at that. There's something. Can you guys? We're twinsies. Yeah, we you guys. Are. Can, can, is that trademarked? I mean, I would think Gremlins would be. First of all, how did you get the name Gremlin without having to? <laughs> yeah. So the the name Gremlin originally stems from the book by Roald Dahl, uh, who was a, a British Air Force. I don't know what rank he was, but. <laughs> Basically, uh, the, the story of gremlins comes from, from World War II and the idea that planes were breaking down, and so they, they blamed it on gremlins, this, these mythical creatures that were uh, maybe mischievous, and sometimes they helped and they fixed things, sometimes they didn't help and they took things apart mid-flight. Um, and so that's kind of where that came from. And then obviously the movie, which yeah. I think we're all familiar with, is kind of led to this this icon. But not really, because if you said that, you would have to get it, you know, passed by Gremlins, the, the, whoever owns the rights to Gremlins, the movie. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think the, the mascot is just, like, different enough that they, we get away with it. I mean, I try not to wear it on planes, though, because was it you and Jessica that wore it on a plane where they actually had an issue and they said that the Gremlins were loose? <laughs> yes. That was uh, your last trip that was, to yeah. London? Our, our trip to, to London, um, yeah, we were in Portland. Portland had a freak snowstorm, uh, and this was, what, like a month ago, and our plane got stuck for several hours, and we were just sitting there, and, and then we pulled away from the gate, and we thought we were taking off, and then we went back to the gate because of gremlins. Uh, <laughs> they said there was warning lights that went off, and they were like, so we should probably check this out, because it says that our flaps are stuck down, yeah, uh, that's probably a bad yeah. thing. And it turns out that you know the warning light was just a false alarm, and the technicians gave us the thumbs up, and so four and a half hours later, we, we rolled out. So you know we're going to talk a little bit about chaos engineering, but chaos engineering for planes in flight is probably not the best thing to do. You know, actually, Kareem <laughs> and I are going to talk a little bit about that. Kareem um, is my co-speaker for our session tomorrow at KubeCon um, at 2.30, um, where we're going to literally talk about airplanes what? and chaos engineering and reliability, but um, definitely something that we've talked about because there are actual plans in case something happens and you lose contact on a plane. That, yeah, I would imagine so. And there's also, you know, backup systems for everything. You know, so there's there's two computers, there's two, you know, everything has backups for backups and planes. And, you know, thankfully, you know, you know, because I feel I feel a little bit safer knowing that. <laughs> yeah. And there's even F-16s that will come find you if they lose uh, connection with you. If they can't see you and you can't communicate with the tower, they will send up other planes to spot you. Um, which is a Will good they thing. shoot you down, though? I No, but it's a good <laughs> okay. thing. That's where the practice comes in, because it's a good thing the pilots know that that can happen, because could you imagine as a pilot what it would be like if all of a sudden you were flanked 
by military planes. Yeah, that's probably That'd a little scary. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so let's get into it a little bit. So, so first of all, chaos engineering. What's it all about? Break it down for, for everybody that's you know, on the show. I'd like to start real simple about you know, what it is and, and, and where it came about, you know, and even how Gremlin came about. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, in general, yeah. chaos engineering is more than just turning off systems in production. It may have started that way, but it's evolved into a practice that's really focused on the scientific method. You know, we're observing our systems. We're creating a hypothesis. So we think that our system is reliable if this thing happens. And then we use chaos engineering to proactively inject failure into our system to see if it really is reliable against that particular failure mode. Or if our system auto scales, or if it scales back down. So with chaos engineering, there's a lot of different things that we look at, but we're also understanding the culture of our organization and also helping to build that because it's more than just our systems. There's people involved, and we're not trying to catch our people off guard. We're not trying to, to test Mike, like, oh my gosh, did you answer the page? But we want to understand, are our people prepared to handle an incident? Do they know what the process is? Do our alerting mechanisms work? How about the escalation policies? So it's not just throwing a bunch of crap at something and saying, will it fail? That is, uh, right, it, it isn't. And as a matter of fact, you don't want to run all of the experiments at once because then how do you know where your failure was or what caused it? But there's quite a history behind chaos engineering. Yeah, I mean, so first of all, the way that I like to break it down, all that Julie said is simply, do things work the way that you think they do, right? I mean, of you, course, they always do. Yeah, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, that's the thing that the more senior that I got as an engineer, when, when I'd write like code and it worked the first time, the first thought isn't, that's amazing, I did a good job. The first thought is, oh my God, what did I do wrong? <laughs> Something has to be wrong with this, right? Um, that's so true. So that's the thing. Like, you, you never know. Like, you, you can never prove that something actually works the way you think it does until you, you test it, right? So that's, that's chaos engineering to me. Uh, but the history of it, yeah, it goes back. I mean, I like to say that the history of chaos engineering is the first time somebody in human history thought, what would happen if I did, and then fill in the blank with crazy, stupid thing, right? Like, when I was five, what would happen if I got in this cardboard box that my parents, you know, bought a new appliance in, and just like went down the stairs, right? <laughs> like, my, my, my first thing was, uh, you know, was what happens when I stick a nail into a socket? I learned really quick what happened, and I ran down the street, and my parents saw me run so far. I had to be like four or five years old. I ran down the street. I think I got to the, like a mile down the street before I turned around because all the power in the house went off, and I was like, I didn't do it. That's it. I'm out. So, but that was, I guess that's it. So, so are you saying I started chaos engineering? Is that what you're trying I to mean, say? I mean, I said that is, that's the foundation of it though, right? Like, I mean, this is, this is the fundamentals of human history is people want to know what happens if they do something. And if it, without lack of documentation or other things, even with documentation, sometimes it's just like, yeah, I don't believe that. I'm going to try it myself. Right. Uh, but I mean, it's, it's happened in technology from you know, the early days, Jesse Robbins, who some people might know from, from Chef, uh, the config, configuration or infrastructure as code. Um, you know, he, when he worked at AWS, was in the data center just pulling power cords because these things were supposed to be redundant. So let's pull the power cord, take servers offline, and see what happens. Um, 
and it's just evolved from there, right? Everybody's familiar with Netflix and Chaos Monkey and the idea. That's pretty much the first thing you think of. You know, when you think of Chaos Engineering, most people think of Netflix and, and Chaos Monkey. Um, and that's, you know, uh, and I'm getting far from my mic here, so. Uh, but that's, that's typically what, you know, that's, that's the first thought, you know. So that's, I, I would almost argue that maybe that is where what we have today is, was really, you know, what people think of. It is, but at the same time, a lot of people get intimidated by that, and they say, yeah. "Well, we're not Netflix, so we can't do it, or we yeah. don't want to be Netflix, especially you know, FinServe institutions, for example." Yeah. But that's where the evolution has come from—not just pulling out random cords in a data center, yeah. not letting monkeys loose in your environment, and randomly shutting things off in production. But That'd that's be pretty where cool, though. I'd like to see that. I mean, it would be kind of fun, right? <laughs> um, but that's where it comes down to thinking about well, what are we actually testing and, and why? And being prepared for it. And Netflix is amazing. And I, I like to say to anybody who doesn't know Chaos Engineering, anytime that you've ever went to Netflix and it said, we can't uh, play this title right now, reload, try again, <laughs> you've experienced it. Yeah. So we've, we've experienced it, but you don't have to be Netflix to practice it. Yeah. So what goes into, you know, what goes into, what are the aspects of Chaos Engineering? So what are, do you, do you have to define systems? Do you have to look at the, define the services and then figure out like what is, what is the expected outage? What is it expected load? Like, like what are the, what are the main aspects? You don't have to go through yeah. each individual, like here's what we do. Everything. I mean, <laughs> you, you nailed it with that, yeah. that first step, well, right? The first know. step is that idea. A, a lot of people say steady state. I like to say nominal state because uh, nothing is steady and it's all dynamic. Yeah. But it's that idea of you're an engineer, you work with these systems, you should know how they normally act uh, and then have that, that hypothesis. And it doesn't have to be extremely formal, you don't have to write up docs, but you should have an idea. And this traces back to Jesse Robbins and you know, Chaos Monkey and stuff like that, right? Jesse Robbins had the hypothesis that if I pull the power, there's redundancy and something else will just kick in. Netflix had the same idea. If we randomly shut down an EC2 instance, we have ASGs, it'll just spin back up and we have plenty of capacity, so things will be fine. So it really is that hypothesis, right? Starting with, this is how I understand my system, this is how I think it'll work. Uh, and then as Julie mentioned, well, if that's what you think will happen, go, go try it out, see if that's really what happens. And, and so when a company first implements this, do they try it on their test systems first? Do they try it on their, obviously you don't want to try it on prod right away. Now this, let's just see what happens on prod and see what happens, you know. I mean, but you can. Um, now I was guilty uh, a while ago in a previous career of saying you could only practice chaos engineering if you were practicing it in production. And, and I was wrong. Yeah. Because you can actually start in development, you can move to staging, and then you can move to production. Because it really depends on where you are as an organization in your journey. And it depends on, I'd also say, the culture of your organization, too. Like, are people prepared, ready, and willing? Um, because you definitely want to start at least at the beginning with a team that's ready, um, a team that's prepared. Yeah, and I always argue that you should start in development and move to staging and prod, because that's it's those fundamentals of how we do software engineering in general. So just follow that same process. It's not scary. I mean, but ultimately the same with software engineering. Like if you, if you rolled something out to staging and you're like, cool, feature's done, like close that ticket, start a new one. Like people would look at you like you're an idiot. They're like, you have to deploy that to prod. Like, you know, and so I think people are freaked out about the idea sometimes of chaos engineering in production. But ultimately when you think about it, like, 
if you don't do it in production, how do you know that it actually works? Like you have to deploy to prod to call something done. Yeah, and I, and I would say that, I, I would imagine, I'm, I'm not gonna say, I would imagine that some of the chaos engineering, the things that you do, um, could be ad hoc, but I would imagine that a lot of it could be part of your CI/CD pipeline. And so that it's just a part of what occurs when you're trying to deploy something from either into test or from test to dev or dev to pro or whatever it is, you know, dev test product, sorry. Um, and, uh, you know, so, so is, that, is that the typical way of, of using? Yeah, yeah, that's what we've seen with a lot of our customers and as we talk with the community, you know, similar to the process of software engineering again, dev test prod, yeah. it is that thing of like, why are you doing this manually? I mean, yeah. number one, you might be doing it because it's fun and you get to explore and like, to be honest, crashing systems kind of fun. But I mean, ultimately at the end of the day, like you're not paid to just do all these things manually. You've got more important things to do. So yeah, automate it. Yeah, and I would think that, you know, from where I am and, and you know, I'm, I'm in DevRel right now and I used to um, do, head up a lot that had to do with cloud native at Cisco and um, you know what I see is all the products that are coming out now for, for, for container platforms and for you know microservices all these things really fit somewhere on the pipeline you know because you talk about shift left security that's on the pipeline you talk about verifying APIs that's in your pipeline you do the, so really the pipeline is king right now that's that's like that has to be perfect. That has to be what, what you need to use and to, to ensure that your applications are going through all the checks and doing what it needs to do before it gets into, into, into prod. Absolutely, I mean, that's become one of the biggest competitive advantages now, right? Yeah. The whole focus is on reliability. Yep. Because that's what we have trained everybody to expect. And I think the pandemic actually reinforced that mm -hmm. because I had to stop shopping at certain locations because they just weren't able to handle the influx of orders, right? And so I think that's where we're seeing that big shift because we were forced um, as a society to start to realize that we have to be able to move quick and reliably and... Yeah, well the quick thing is the other part of it, right? Yeah. Reliability and velocity. and that goes back to the pipeline. The pipeline is all about like, how do we do these things and get velocity on them, especially as we keep adding steps, right? Like, you know, when I was a developer, security wasn't a thing, right? We did unit tests and that was it. And, and then it became, well, you need unit tests and integration tests. And then it became, you need unit tests, integration tests, and, you know, dependency tests for like vulnerabilities. And it just got longer and longer. Yeah. And then pretty soon it was like, cool, I'm gonna hit, you know, commit on this code. And I'll go out to have a long lunch and maybe come back mid-afternoon and, and I'll see what the status is. And you just can't do that anymore. Yeah. And the, the, other, the other real big piece, and we've been talking about this a lot today, is that you know, because everything is microservices these days, you have development teams that are just focused on their one little part. And things don't actually come together until the pipeline. So when you start to put it into dev, that's when you start to see all your flaws. You know, because they're working on their one little thing, they're not even considering anything else. You told me to work on this, I'm working on this, okay? Someone else is working on that other piece, we'll see how it comes together at the end. Well, and at the end of the day though, those teams too need to learn how to work together when something happens. Yeah. And just being able to understand how to communicate with each other, how these other teams work, uh, being able to understand where your critical dependencies are. You know, you, you might not think that something is going to impact you, but we have so many dependencies because our systems are so complex how do we identify those and how do we understand 
how to mitigate issues or even something that shouldn't be a critical path that we identify is through chaos engineering. How do we remove that from the critical pathway? Yeah, it's pretty crazy because I remember, and I'm going back a long time now, but I remember you know, having to do disaster recovery all the time. And you would create all these plans. They were great plans. They looked great on paper. And then you would go to actually do it. And maybe about 20%, 30% of the time it would work right. And you would be tweaking stuff there and doing the, you know, changing it. And yeah, it'll work next time. Oh yeah. And it'll always work next time, you know? So it's and that worst case thing. of like, you got the tape, right? Yeah. Like eventually it came back to that tape and you're just like, oh no, I can't read this tape. Yeah, like, I don't have the drivers. <laughs> I don't have something, you know, something's not working, you know? So it's almost the same thing, but you're, now you're taking it from into the application, you know? So, but, but the nice part about it is now you're automating it. So you know things work. You're, you're automating it, you have this process and things, you know, kind of come together. Absolutely, that is the goal, right? We, yeah. we as Jason said, wanna make sure that as fun as some of our jobs can be, that we can focus on what we're supposed to be doing. Right? Yeah, yeah. So that's really fun. So I know that um, you're a huge fan of Legos, so I'm gonna I'm gonna bring that up too because I, I'm a big fan of Legos too, and I have a ton of Legos. So is there a way that we could talk about chaos engineering as Legos? There is, and actually. <laughs> So the, the reason that we both know this is we were uh, actually meeting on a Zoom yes. and, and you saw my Voltron. Yes, that I have, was awesome. I have, I have Lego Voltron and, and Lego Voltron is amazing because all of these different lions, if anybody has watched Voltron, they have to come together to form Lego Voltron to be the <laughs> defender of the universe because without coming together the universe is unsafe and it's just a really unfortunate situation. But when we look at it, all of these lions can operate independently. They can all do their own thing. Their, their pilots had to learn how to operate them, but they also had to learn how to work together to come together as a group to, to again, make the universe safe for us all. So what happens when the leg falls off? Yeah. Right, if we cut off the leg, <laughs> <laughs> sorry for that imagery, um, definitely check out Voltron, it is on Netflix. Um, but can we still operate? Can we still defend the universe? And that's how I would like to put it into Lego. So have you created a whole series on this? You should really create a series on, on how that works and like, like chaos engineering by like throwing some stones at Voltron and see what, see what chips off and see if it still works. I mean, I do have some slides. I do have Voltron. Maybe we should. I'm not going to throw things at Voltron. No. I just, I, I can't. But I did learn. Though I did learn, I have to be careful how I pick up Voltron, or his his leg will fall off. Right. So now I know. But that's no. Now I know. So I, I, I'm careful with Voltron um, because I know that there's a weakness there. Yes. And I've worked my way around that weakness. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe you need another Voltron as a backup. I mean, are you, are, I can give you my address, but we'll do that, we'll do that offline. <laughs> That's great. Do you have anything like that that you're, you're super passionate about that you could relay into chaos engineering? Oh, man, so much chaos engineering. I mean, chaos engineering is like my life. So uh, actually, uh, I didn't bring my backpack. Uh, I will be back down here a bit later. So the thing that I did... They're not going to be able to see it a bit, a bit later. No, no, they won't. Uh, <laughs> Which is I'll unfortunate get, for you. you know I'm going to get a social clip of, of whatever it is you're about to say all and right. then post it back up there so people can see. Yeah, well, I mean, they can see. They will still miss out. I, I'm sorry. But the thing that I did during the pandemic is I started making chocolate. 
Uh, wow. So That's craft something I could get into. Bean to bar chocolate. So I've got some chocolate bars. I'll bring one down for you. Uh, oh, wow. But yeah, that is all about chaos. Uh, chocolate making is one of these processes that seems simple, right? You take beans and you roast them and you shell them and then you grind them up with sugar and you basically get chocolate. And there's a million factors from... Heat is a big one, though. Heat's a big one. I mean, humidity, the temperature, like all of this comes into play. Uh, and it's crazy because a lot of it is stuff that you can't really control, right? Can like, you, though? You can if you spend enough money, which is similar, I guess, to our technical systems, right? If you spend enough money, you probably can get something pretty reliable, uh, but you probably also have a budget like I do. So yeah, yeah. So what I did is I over over the um, um, over over the COVID you know time frame, I got into I play guitar and you and you got well you've seen my guitar collection, um, and I decided you know what I'm going to start to make some guitar pickups. So I tried it manually. It's, it was the worst experience in the it's world. It's a lot like, of winding. Yeah, well, it's like only like 8,000 wines of like this <laughs> microfiber that's like this. Um, but yeah, so, but what they had was a, a winding CNC. And I was like, ooh, that's something I get into. You know, so, so all you have to do is set it up, but you still have to set it up the right way and do the right wine. So I could kind of relate that to, to what you're, you know, what you guys are doing here. So it's great that we can relate everyday things to what, what actually occurs, because I think it's really pertinent in that we, you know, we understand the theory from understanding other things too. Well, and, and to learn. Yeah. It's all about learning. So yeah. Jason- I love to learn. Yeah, Jason learned how to make great chocolate. You're going to experience it. I learned how not to break Voltron. You learned a better way of doing something. So how do we learn from all of these experiences? And I would say that that's like the biggest piece right there. Yeah. you. Well, the biggest piece in that learning is learning by doing, right? Yeah. Like, cool, I can understand the theory of how an electric guitar works and the strings buzz and there's like a, you know, electric magnetic field, but like until you actually have that experience, like you would never know how difficult that is to make your own pickups. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot of things that gotta go gotta go to ah, gotta go together there. That's hard to say, wow. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, so yeah, I've learned a lot about that, definitely. But yeah, I, I see the, the the common thread that goes through all of this, and it's it's really interesting that way. So we're 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 starting to run a little bit out of time, but I want to ask what I've been asking everybody at, since we are at KubeCon, and this is such an interesting place. There's so many new technologies, there's so many great people, there's so many things to see. What did you guys find interesting? What was there a new technology? Or is there something you wanted to see? You know, what what's what are you guys geeking out on right now? Right now, I'm just geeking out on everything observability, but that's because I'm being selfish and I'm completely preparing for uh, a talk tomorrow. Nice. Um, and I'm 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 geeking out on hugs. Yeah, I've gotten nice. to give so many that's, hugs. And that's to a big people. thing because you know we haven't seen everybody in you know two years now, so. This is, this is amazing. It is, and I haven't had as much time as I would like to just to go visit all the booths and learn about all the technologies because it's just been so busy today, but it's really day one, so we've still got a few more days. By the way, I'm hugging people that don't even know me, and they're like, why are you hugging me? <laughs> I think when I ran into you yesterday randomly in a, in a random hallway, I think you, you said hi. Yeah. You just saw the pink hair and was, oh, that's Julie. Yeah, and I knew that. I'm pretty sure I came very close to just jumping and hugging <laughs> right there. Um, so geeking out on hugs you're also you the hair is definitely something like you were spotted in our hotel yesterday someone was like did you did you post on twitter about your hair and you're like yes and he's like 
I follow you. I've wanted to see your hair in person. <laughs> <laughs> so it's all about the hair. That's it. Yeah. So I guess I got to get different color hair. Is what it, you know? I don't know if it would look right on me. I'm not sure, but I, I can think, try it. I, I think, think I first need to get hair. <laughs> <laughs> so what about yourself? Yeah, I mean, aside from loving running into old friends and making new ones in person, totally geeking out on Spanish food because Valencia is amazing. It's yeah. like where paella was born and, and a bunch of other cool stuff. Uh, Technology-wise, there are a bunch of really cool uh, technologies around. Basically, I don't want to call them AI ops because they're not really AI, but like auto remediation tools. Yeah. Like, there's some really cool stuff out there that will take a look at, you know, pipe in your your monitoring or your observability, and it'll like analyze them for what's going wrong, and then suggest like it's Kubernetes. Here's like the the memory requests or CPU like limits that you should set, and like yeah. that's super cool to me. Yeah, no, that stuff's really cool. And I've actually, I've, I've spent some time with some of those companies just, just talking about it because I think that's pretty interesting too, you know, and I think there's there's so much you could do with Kubernetes. You know, Kubernetes at its core does, does amazing stuff, but then to optimize it and to manage it and to monitor it and to, to do all these things, you know, that's really what, what a lot of these what new new companies are starting to do and it's, it's just amazing. Yeah, it's something Jason and I were actually talking about this morning is just the companies that are getting all these different series and rounds of funding because it's just every day somebody is getting something big happening. So what are you saying? We should just start something? Let's just start something around Kubernetes. I mean, it seems like the VC money is flying. It all happened here. It'll involve Lego, chocolate. And and guitar guitar pickups. There you go. All right. Well, sounds great. Um, I want to thank you guys for being on the show. This has been so much fun and definitely going to have to have you guys back because I just enjoy talking to you guys. I don't even care if it's about anything we're talking about here. But, uh, you know, definitely. Uh, so thank you very much. And um, this has been great. Thank you. Thanks and for having us. Have a great rest of Gucon. Oh, one thing I forgot. Any places that you guys can find on social that can, people can find you on social, not you guys can find other people well, I mean, other people are also great. Uh, you can find me at Julie underscore Gund on Twitter. Yeah. And I'm Git Bisect almost everywhere. So G-I-T-B-I-S-E-C-T. I'm going to put it in the notes, too, so don't worry about it. If people don't remember it, I will put it in the notes. All right, well, thanks again, and we'll see you guys soon. Thank you. All right. <laughs>